matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. So glad you're with us. Just after 10 here, we've got another live show for you. A couple hours to spend, lots to talk about. This feels like a pretty fateful week for uh, folks paying a lot of attention here to this tapering issue that the feds are dealing with. We brought in a lot of data and things to talk about today. I'm looking forward to having a good conversation kind of funny the week leading into all this taper stuff has uh not not necessarily supported the taper so now there's this great big debate as to whether they're going to taper anyway whether it was a predetermined plan um so i think we'll talk a little bit about uh if they should why they shouldn't or how much they should but before we get to all that you know we never talk baseball anymore and i don't know why maybe it's because your team's not in it I don't know. Why yeah, is that? I just, you know, I'm just, it's an effort to be more professional. <laughs> you want to talk baseball just a little bit? Better be careful because my <laughs> team's out of contention. You are about to show up to play my team, and there's a real good chance they could damage parts of you. Um, don't jinx yourself. There's a, there's a very important game. I think first pitch is right about now. I might have to game cast it and let you just run with this show today. Okay, perfect. Okay. Oh, boy. What's the division that? leaders. What, right. <laughs> What's that sound there? Well, it's kind of a modernized version of Take Me Out to the Ball game. Bruce Springsteen. Oh. Yeah. All right, we'll go with the other one, though. <laughs> There's a few things I think in this world should be modernized and take me out to the ball games. not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so th thank you for turning that off. <laughs> there we go. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> That's Mo Betta. Yeah, well, hey, you guys are probably wondering what the heck this guy over here is rambling about. Um, Dan's an A's fan, and I'm an Angels fan, and... Somehow or other, the A's are just having a better season. For two years in a row. Good enough. Whatever. Enough said. <laughs> Keep going. All right. Um, I happened to see last night. Uh, in fact, I remember last night I I saw you after work, and you, were, you showed me your phone. You're like, look, at, the Angels are doing pretty good. They're beating the worst team in the American League. Well, no. And they then were... later in the evening, I was watching SportsCenter, and Hard I to... saw, dang, the, the Angels lost to the worst team in the American League. Hard to come back from a six-run inning. True. That, that I think that rarely happens. I don't have all the stats on it, but... Uh, A's actually no, overcame a six-run inning last night. I think they're like 11 for their last 15 games or something like that now. I don't know. Somewhere in that range. It's been better. Just too little too late. Yeah. You know? What are you going to do? Moro Bay was all, in all the uh, papers this week. I saw... Yeah, I, they were. You told me about it yesterday, and I wasn't totally tuned in, and then I actually ended up seeing the, the smattering of headlines. Yeah. 
Much ado about nothing, huh? Yeah, just an opportunity for the community to come together, to rally together. It's really, in, really inspiring. Rally. This is my sarcastic tone. What are they here. rallying for? They're not. <laughs> City of Morro Bay is very divided on um, on some issues, much like the whole country, it seems like. But yeah, we got our own little little us versus them drama in uh, Morro Bay on Thursday when it was it looked possible that the two top officials were going to get fired the city attorney and city manager um but nothing ended up happening and no one knows why the hoopla started in the first place except for those who maybe were at the the center of it all but yeah we they, don't know they probably on. have a good idea yeah. of what's happening but it did afford about 100 people the opportunity to come out and um badmouth and threaten their um, co fellow community members so that was really really a proud moment in Morro bay history good job <laughs> good job guys you're so cynical i am that's weird it's disappointing i used to seeing you so cynically. It's disappointing i'm not not very proud of my my town mates here right now but anytime you, anytime you involve politics whether the people are elected or appointed you're going to find plenty of folks that will show up for public opportunity to bash. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know how you get around that. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice it's to see that a small, it. quaint little beach community is no different than the rest. No, people are people are <laughs> the same all over. Yeah. If anything, you got to be thankful though that they're happy to be involved and willing to voice an opinion, even if they're not very good about. The way they voice their opinion and the, um, you know, I don't adjectives know if I agree with you. and whatnot used. I don't know. Why? I mean, participation's great, but obstruction isn't very productive, so. Can um, be. It's an effective tool. Can be. Have you never had to be on the no other way to stop it but to obstruct it side of things? I guess. Sometimes it's a necessary I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Well, that stuff's boring. I don't <laughs> even live in Morro Bay. I want to talk about uh, all that went on this week. Um, this is pretty exciting. I mean, we've been watching for a little while here uh, about the feds, right? And they, they have this announcement of when the market data supports a taper. It's kind of backing up, though. Remember, wasn't it about May when the when the feds went on record to say that they if we kept building steam the way that we were, it could be later this year that they may look at scaling back some of the asset purchasing programs. Um, the market totally overreacted and said they're going to stop this year. And then the feds came out and said, we never said we were going to stop this year. We said if market conditions kept um, improving and warranted the beginning of a scale back, it's going to be a long, gradual one, um, then it, it's all based on the data. So now, in spite of all of the data that's coming out, I see all of these big-time Wall Street um, traders and hedge fund managers and you name it, saying in spite of the weak jobs report and 
um, consumer sentiment being bad and interest rates going up and housing slowing down and all these things that the feds will still taper. So they never actually ever picked up the message at all in any way, shape or form that it would be um, dependent on the data. And so I, I'm kind of curious. I really feel like um, I'm going to be waiting here to see. This is kind of like case law. Like the feds have said, they told us the metrics by which they're going to judge this. And the feds have tried so hard for the last few years to be more transparent, be in a, in a way that we understood policy and why. And what was one of the key metrics? One of the big, big, big metrics was unemployment. Hitting um, six and a half percent. Sitting, hitting six and a half. And I could only imagine that when they talked about unemployment, they described it in a way that... Um, or they wanted us to hear that it was going to be based on job creation. Um, so unemployment, huge one. And then the other one, of course, is inflation. Uh, having this loose monetary policy is really like an injection of cash into the system that's supposed to create some inflation, which is necessary because as we learned um, in grade school or whenever, you, you don't like the year. Um, <laughs> evidently, my school district was more advanced than yours. But high unemployment and um, no inflation is a bad, bad combination. They have to keep some inflation just to keep the value of goods up while people can't necessarily afford to buy them and, and kind of keep the whole engine firing. So um, at any rate, have there been any major developments on either of those fronts? No, I mean we haven't <laughs> we haven't hit six and a half percent with our national unemployment rate. In fact, we're almost a full percentage point higher than that, and yeah. um, inflation's still in that hard to, one hard to one and a half of. percent annual rate right now, right. which is below the target. So, interestingly enough, the data here that. I could only imagine does not support the beginning of a tapering uh, is here. And that's that's one of the things that I, you know, that I really want to spend some time talking about today and working through the different metrics on this. But it's funny. Um, it's become kind of a hobby of mine. I enjoy getting in and reading about this stuff. It seems like more than five out of ten people in the know believe that we're going to learn of some kind of tapering this week um, regardless of what's happened. That some of these soft spots in the economy uh, that that it, we've been able to see in the last few weeks are not enough to have the Fed delay the tapering plan that they've laid out. So like I said, I, I'm looking at this from the standpoint of well, were you being truthful with me all along then? Can the Fed really be trusted? Is their policy truly to be transparent and let us know what, what metrics are deciding this? and um, Or have they, in fact, come up with some preconceived plan and how it's going to roll out and the, there's a timeline to it and they're just going to let the economy kind of take its lumps? So it'll be an exciting week. I'm looking forward to doing the show. Next week we'll be able to kind of follow up on how this all unfolded. That being said, the smartest heads in the room um, seem to agree that there's been so much anticipation of this tapering being announced this coming week that the um, 
there's not likely to be substantial market movement unless the tapering is far more aggressive and radical than anybody anticipated. I, I feel like announcing tapering at all is going to be radical um, and more aggressive than anticipated because I'm I'm digging in. I'm looking just at the data. They told me it was just about the data, so that's all I'm considering is the data. I hear what you're saying, and if you take the Fed from their statements from previous previous three months worth of conferences and you know sound bites and things like that, then yeah, you're right. The, any type of tapering would be a surprise, but the markets don't agree with you. The markets have already right. priced in uh, a taper. The markets are pretty. Um, consistent and when i say markets i mean it's the it's the people who show up um on wall street to actually trade um for the the big money folks those guys are the ones who get interviewed those those are the guys who are facilitating the trades their their belief is that with the meeting the meetings what tuesday and wednesday this next week the 17th and 18th um that at that meeting the fed will decide to taper um to the tune of about 20 billion 20 million 20 billion dollars a month billion yeah yeah we're spending 85 billion currently the expectation is for them to cut that by about 25 percent a little less than 25 percent 20 billion dollars uh, will be taken off the table and we're thinking the 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 thought is that that's going to come out of the treasuries buying and not out of the mortgage-backed securities buying so that will that will help keep mortgage rates where they are but the treasury rate might see a little bit of fluctuation, although I, th my, my understanding is that it's already priced into the market. So if the Fed comes out and says, ah, oh, we're only going to cut about $10 billion a month, maybe you'll see a little, um, a little bit of backtracking because it's not as much tapering as it is expected. Yeah. So Maybe so. It'll be interesting. It's, it's hard to, to predict the move other than... You know, like you said, we have we have a little bit of information about metrics, what's going to be the triggers or the thresholds for change, and we haven't hit those. Although the conspiracy the conspiracy theorist in me looks at the uh, the jobless claim numbers from last week, the first time since two thousand six that jobless claims have fallen below three hundred thousand. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, huh? That's a funny one. Um, <laughs> you showed this to me yesterday. Yeah, I. Every Thursday, as soon as I kind of get a free minute, I love to log in and look at that one, especially lately because it's been a thrill to see it drop as fast as it has. And um, I looked at, I pulled it up, right? And I see that the initial jobless claim is like 292,000. And I'm like, oh man, I like clicked on some old data or something. <laughs> so I scroll back up and I look at the, the date stamp and it said september 12th and i'm like wait what and then i scroll back down and i'm like 290 what that, this is absurd this is like this is in line with the 2005 numbers we were talking about a couple months ago where the economy is viewed as like pretty much fully employed and i'm going Are you kidding me right now so <laughs> i look into it and it turns out that it's a few things have influenced this number that have it on the artificially low side. And the it seems like the market acknowledged it pretty quickly. Because ordinarily, if you saw claims drop by such a substantial number in a week, 
you would have to just think that um, it's time to make a bet, right? The claims dropped for a couple of big, big reasons. Number one was Veterans Day, right? Memorial Day. What was it? Memorial Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. I was close. <laughs> I never know any of these holidays. I know when Christmas is. <laughs> Labor Day is the last one. In Labor Day. <laughs> they Veterans said... Day is in November. Memorial Day kids all summer. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> I didn't know if we were just it. naming off holidays or. What we they were don't. Doing. They don't mean much. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Fine. <laughs> Point is, there was a little bit less activity in the market because there's that day that um, there there isn't a lot of reporting anyway. But then secondly, the systems for two separate states, and I don't know if your article mentions this. It didn't this. say which states. Yeah, because uh, that's funny <laughs> to me. that's embarrassing. I, I want to know who it is. <laughs> yeah. Their computer systems really just flopped, and they weren't able to input their um, their claims numbers into the overall data. So that number was kind of a throwaway number this yeah, week. Yeah, it was basically ignored. Yeah. Uh, but had that been true, that would have been pretty dumbfounding. So, so that's one that we can't, we can't actually put too much clout in, though the trend has been down. If, if I were a betting man um, and there was an opportunity to bet on this, I would bet that it goes down next week, um, not below the 292 number, but below – once they get this revised and corrected, that it should go down a little bit more. Yeah, I think our four-week average has been right around 330, 325, somewhere in that range, which is getting down to, like you said, close to a, a number that we would expect in the best of economic times. It's appropriate yeah. and um, surprising. So that's great news. I mean, I as much as I do sit around and kind of root for um, – the mortgage business and what that usually means on the larger scale is um, less than great news. The The reality of it is, is that I watch these headlines get bizarrely received. Um, for example, unemployment rate falls and everybody's like, woohoo. And it's like, no, and it didn't really actually, it's not a good thing that it fell. You need to keep reading. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I, I'm watching closely. I want to go ahead and do the first commercial break here of the show. We get back, we got more to talk about. I'm going to talk about some more of these things that I believe are going to be uh, factoring into the Fed's decision and announcement this week. So we're we're looking forward to walking this one out. Also, um, later in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about um, qualifying for homes after you have blemish, blemished credit. So stick with us after this break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Imagine if you'd purchased Google stock 10 years ago or bought gold before it went through the roof. How much money would you have right now? Today's real estate market is ripe with opportunities just like these. It's rare that real estate values and mortgage rates are low at the same time. Rates will go up and home values will too. Stop renting. Owning a home is more attainable than you think. We are living in the golden age of real estate. Call 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. 
A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Jim taking the opportunity to throw something at me there about holidays. I'll be the first to admit I'm the terrible worst ever at knowing what name is for what date. Not a lot I can do about it. There's oddly enough, um, I was I can't remember the strangest things that most people remember. But I have like a photographic memory about things that are like important. Okay. Numbers, dates, guidelines, things like that. I just, I can't shake from this steel trap of a brain. But if you ask me, I mean, like yesterday, a friend of mine and I, we, we got into an argument about how many years ago um, we were at this certain place for Halloween and I swore it was last year. It turns out it was like three years ago. I just can't remember stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I can tell you all kinds of loan guideline things. And what down the, the most important thing, do you remember the wife's birthday and anniversary? Yep. Those, those are fine. I have, I, I actually, um, my own dad, like at times struggles remembering what kid has which birthday and stuff. I, <laughs> I know everybody's birthday, even kind of extended family and stuff. I don't, however, know many of their phone numbers because it just gets entered into the cell phone and then erased from mind. Like if I lost my cell phone, there's a real good chance I wouldn't be able to get a hold of anybody. (laughs) Be like stuck in the middle of the country just not knowing what to do. Can't even call my own mom. That's how it goes. Hey, so we've been spending some time talking about the the taper here, and I, I sometimes I wonder if it's that big of a deal anyway. It's um, 
certainly feels like a big deal to us because it has such a direct relationship to interest rates and um, monetary policy. In in the beginning, the whole reason the Feds came with this accommodative policy was to lower interest rates, to thaw the credit market and encourage folks to get out there and lend money, um, encourage households to be able to refinance and to lower interest rates and screw, um, free up a little bit of their discretionary income so that they could go out and make other purchases and kind of get everything grinding to a go. And um, so we watch this because we're drawn to the end of this period here. Um, I'm not positive, first of all, what the rush is to get out. Most of these purchases, like particularly mortgage-backed securities, part of um, the Fed's buying have been very profitable. Uh, in fact, sending money over to the Treasury at pretty good clip um, looks like a fabulous investment. If it were possible to have the Fed have invested your personal savings into some of those plans, I think based on the metrics of return on investment, most folks would have uh, hopped on that bandwagon. So I'm not sure why they want to rush out of it. Um, we, if you kind of zoom out a little bit and, and think about the graph of what's been happening within the economy, we, it feels to me that, um, we had kind of a, a downward trend in jobs created. We had a downward trend in equity held in uh, real estate. We had a downward trend in the values of our investments in both, um, it really in our stocks and retirement portfolios, we had um, all of those things creating a real lack of confidence. And in the end here, um, if you're looking kind of at that in a linear function, they all kind of began to nose up a little bit. And I wouldn't say that any of them have been particularly impressive, but just seeing it correct enough, has all, it's like the Fed couldn't wait for a reason to pull out. And... Um, of course, the the folks that aren't positive that the economy is that strong and ready for the removal of stimulus are nervously watching to make sure that it took so long to get us to nose up and believe as a community that buying homes again was a smart thing. It took a long time to stop the free fall of equity. And if you pull out right away, would it um, is it strong enough to stay the course? You know why people want to get out. Of the stimulus? Yeah. Because everybody's mad at the government. What business does the government have doing this, doing that? Spending here, too much money. There, There's too much concern money. about debt. I mean, that's really it. It's You've got... You're balancing trying to, trying to help repair the economy, help get it back on the right track so that it can then carry itself versus spending your way into a, a debt pile that you can't get out of. But if there... Those are the two... Sides thing here. is, though, I mean, truly, the the purchases on this program have been um, profitable. They've been acquiring yield-producing assets that are relatively low risk and creating a pretty substantial portfolio. They've been profitable, yeah. And the, the problem is, is that with the stuff they're buying and that they currently hold, it's as rates increase, the value of the lower rates that they own are just lowers and lowers. So they, if they ever went to sell those securities, they'd lose money on those transactions. The only gain is by holding and and earning the, I mean, what yields were they buying? One, 2% yields. So 
The is, would you lend out your money for 10 years or 30 years for one or two percent or three and a half percent? You've continuously said no. So that's obviously not. <laughs> However, if I'm the if I'm the Fed working side by side with the Treasury and of this 85 billion, um, half of it's going into bonds and um, half of it's going into mortgage backed securities. I see the value in um, doing the the mortgage-backed securities. That portfolio stays together. It's a pretty good shape. The bonds that they're buying, you know, I, I can appreciate the wanting to bail out of that um, talk. I mean, and here's the reality: we say things like, "Who on earth would refinance out of their um, three and a quarter, or three and a half, or three and three quarters, thirty-year fix?" Those loans are going to be around forever, right? Those are going to be on the books forever. I have my second loan application this week of somebody that's going from a three and three quarters to a five. Because they need cash out. No, not even cash out. Because they can get out of the mortgage insurance because their property appreciated. And, and it's crazy, right? I mean, they're going to pay more interest. And over the 30 years, they're costing themselves a lot more money. But they don't have a 30-year plan. They have like a five-year plan. And their FHA mortgage insurance isn't going to stop for another 10 years or nine years or something like this. So though they know they're refinancing into a higher interest rate, they're getting out of mortgage insurance and it's saving them 200 bucks a month. So there you go. That's a, that's a piece of portfolio runoff that people just aren't counting on. And um, you know and I know uh, FHA went from being kind of a kind of like Canada as far as loan programs go, just kind of there, and <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden it became the real deal. Everybody wanted FHA loans. Their numbers began trumping complete other loan programs. They had so much going on, a big rush in. In fact. This is part of the reason they had to keep jacking their premiums through the roof because so many people were – there was a feeding frenzy on them. Um, and a lot of the borrowers are less than ideal, whatever. But um, point being, these people are going to keep refinancing. When it when it makes sense and meets your objectives and, and yet at the surface it doesn't completely make sense, those people are still going to show up. And you know what they're going to be here for? Because they want cash out, because they racked up credit card debt, because they want to get out of their mortgage insurance, because they're getting a divorce, because the person they bought the house with has a needs their cash back or something. All of those reasons still exist. And those portfolios, I think, will shrink through time naturally anyway. They're not going to be on the books for a full 30 years. And in these times where they are at 3 and 4%, they're making money on them because there isn't many other investments where you're making a pretty much a guaranteed 4%, right? Right. So now what I'm hearing you say is that um, regardless of, you know, rates are on an upward trend, but refinancing is going to continue because people no. people's lives change. The volume and... is going to be down for sure. 
I, you know, you, you went from everybody, you know, needing to refinance as soon as they can. And probably as often as I could, I mean, come on, you saw it as well as I did. There was people that refinanced four times in three years. Sure. Yeah. Kept chasing the rate down. Yeah. So, those... so that part of the market's going to slow down. Yeah. But, um, these other folks that want to refi my point is is that the the feds have already said they have no interest in coming out and selling their mortgage-backed securities portfolio right in fact as it runs off because of property sales or loans being refinanced um they intend to reinvest that money back into the mortgage-backed securities market so even in spite of this tapering game that's about to happen here the feds have, have been pretty pleased with the results of this. And when I say pleased with the results, not only with stirring up um, activity within the mortgage market and, and thawing it as they wished, but also with the quality of the securities that they're putting together. And they're, they're pleased enough on both fronts that they intend to keep going. That's good news. And... You know, back to the metrics that, that they're going to be looking at, or at least they've s said they're going to be looking at, one of the big ones is going to be retail sales. We've talked about two already. We've talked about the employment number, and we know where that sits today. We just had the most recent unemployment report last week. Um, so what? We're, nationally, we're down to 7.3%, I think. Mm -hmm. um, we know where jobless claims have trended. In, in spite of the aberration number this, this week, we know that they're consistently dropping and and currently around 325,000 per week um, and then the other piece is inflation we know where that's at it's a little bit below that fed target so that shouldn't cause them to want to get out of this program too soon you know they, they they should they should have some confidence knowing that they could actually maybe go too long versus too soon and, and still not have an inflationary problem the other thing is retail sales. That's 70% of our economic growth, uh, of our economic activity. And that's the number where we keep disappointing in our GDP, which, again, 70% of that is consumer spending retail sales. That's been pretty pretty weak. A below average, we'll call it. We'll call it below well, average. Well, auto manufacturers had such big gains that they're looking at building more cars. They're, they're going to ramp up production to meet all this demand. Um, and then this retail sales number is a bit disappointing. It rose um, just 0.2% last month. Which was half of what was expected by economists. And, and so that's not a good thing that the consumer and, – and, and you know what couples that number to that you got to take into consideration? At the same time, consumer sentiment fell, erasing a few months' worth of progress. So in doing so – if the, if the consumer is out spending money, good news. If the consumer is kind of spending money, okay, how's the consumer feeling? The consumer's not feeling great today. Um, and when polled, they said that they were upset about increasing interest rates, as which, as we know now, directly correlates to the tapering, right? Um, but then also... Uh, fear over a military strike in Syria, I think, has been on the forefront of most people's mind. Um, so that being said, what do you make of that? Retail sales, we've been dragging retail sales along for a while. Last week, we we got some information that it was a 
pretty weak um, back-to-school sales season. And we also noticed that, but auto sales are really good. And that was another trend that I noticed, uh, another interesting tidbit from the retail sales figure this week was that consumers bought more cars, furniture, and electronics last month, but held back on most other purchases. So again, I'm seeing a consumer that's very targeted in their purchases. We know that they're driving cars longer. Last week, we learned that the average life of car on road today is 11 and a half years, which is the longest it's been in a long time, maybe ever. Um, so people are replacing things that they've that they've used longer than they normally would have in a different economic environment. And so the, the consumers out there just, I need this item and it's, and it's time to replace the one I have. And that's what they're buying. They're not going out and just, hey, it's a Sunday. Let's go shopping and spend some money. I like to think <laughs> that um, people are really making critical, logical decisions about these things. And if it were me, if I were in the market to go buy a new car because I had a 12-year-old car or whatever, right? Um, interest rates are going up. And most everybody agrees that over the course of the next year, two, three years, there's going to be an upward trend in interest rates across the board, not just mortgage interest rates, but all consumer. So if that's true, that they're going to go up and I need a new car, shouldn't I go buy one now at this tail end of when they're at zero? Sure. You know, that, so that's a great point. How many of these people are going, hey, it's the end of the year, right? So there's blowouts because there's that year in model sale thing where you can get a good rebate on a car before they release the the next year's model, right? Um, interest rates like nothing, and they at times will give you some kind of cash to pocket to buy a car. Also see the clever ads on TV that they'll make the first few payments for you. Um, why not? At 0%, that's going to be pretty smart in a few years when car loans are back to 4 5 6% to buy a car. Um, so I, th I gotta believe that some of these people that were wheeling out and buying were doing so because they, though they may not have enough money to dump, um, an extra several hundred dollars a month on little things here or there, the automobile, you know, that gets you back and forth from work and gets the kids safely back and forth from school while it's at 0% because we have a wearing car, it's probably time to make this budgetary concession and make it happen. Yep. I think that's probably what these people are. I, like I said, I like to think people are using critical logic when they decide to make decisions like this. Um, the cynic in me says that they go driving past a car lot and go, did you see that car? And turn around and they trade in their two-year-old car to get another, you know, upside down car payment on a, the cool latest bells and whistles car it's probably a mix of both so when we look across the the key metrics we see a cautious consumer we see uh a uh an american that's that's concerned about the political environment maybe the international political environment Concerned about jobs still, I think, because less people are out looking for jobs, which is what's contributing to the declining national unemployment rate. By the way, just to interject right there, I wrote this thing up, and we're going to move on from the jobs thing soon, so I just wanted to, to shake it off here. Um, if you look at the net revisions of the last two months, we added less than 100,000 new jobs. Um, it's 
in, in the month. So looking at that, the and we know the unemployment rate fell just because less people are being counted, less people are participating. Um, talked about this last week, but the participation rate is that of back to um, August 1978. That's a good long while ago. Um, so altogether, on most fronts here, things don't look like it's time to start um, removing us. If if this Fed's buying of the um, bonds and securities that they've been buying, if that's the life support that the economy's on, or if it's just the crutch or the walker, I don't know how you want to term it. I, maybe life support's not the right thing to say anymore. But no matter what it is that it's girding up, is it an appropriate time to pull out? And as we began this discussion, my my final thoughts on it again are, they said it was all about the data. They said, hey, you're overreacting. You didn't hear what we said. We said it was just about the data and the metrics and the overall strength of the economy. We're watching employment. We're watching inflation. So your focus is more about the Fed honoring their statements and maintaining that transparency that they've tried so hard to yeah and at the you know if we were having happy hour right now and we just wanted to sit around and you know chew the fat longer on this topic i want to say that um we've spent an impossible amount of time and money making sure that we got this nose diving economy um at least leveled if not nosing up and you know if Getting us off of the stimulus makes the first big turn. Um, do we have the airspeed we need to make this turn and survive the turn? I don't know what the rush is because none of the data looks to me like, oh, that's unarguable. Uh, we're doing great and the stimulus is just foolish now. I don't see that in any sector of the economy, really including housing. I just don't. Uh, but, hey. It ain't me. I'm not the one making policy. So just like everybody else, I'm excited to watch and see the meetings on the 16th, 17th. We'll get a little announcement about what they have to say about it. It should be fascinating to see. And next week here on the show, we're going to we'll unfold, break down their statement, talk a little bit about what they're doing and maybe be um, analyzing some of the impacts into the markets. You know, one of the headlines I had yesterday from Bloomberg was that the Dow surged on fear um, or not fear, but on um, all of this data leading to the fact that the feds, if they taper, it will be um, very moderate and not very aggressive. Um, so that being said, we know that, that the Dow, the investment markets, they're so closely held by, um, what is happening in this fiscal policy that if the announcement came out and that was received as too aggressive, we could tank the Dow um, and drive the yields on all of the treasuries through the roof. Um, that we'll see. I'm excited to see. And next week, I know that we're going to have a, a real substantial recap about this stuff. Um, but it, it's a big week. And I, I, I'm not positive that everybody realizes the impacts that that may be had here. Um, we need to do the, the last commercial break of the hour here. Take time out to thank the sponsors that helped make the show possible. Stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. 
Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. State of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. When it comes to your mortgage, do you pay points or do you take the no-cost loan? Don't let your loan officer or banker choose for you. At Central Coast Lending, we help you decide. Numbers don't lie. We teach you to do the math so you can cut through the salesmanship and get the best loan for you. Because we can't be beat, we'll even teach you how to shop and compare other offers. We don't charge upfront fees, and we value every client. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. We've been talking about your money. <laughs> We've been talking off the air about what we were talking about on the air. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's how you know you're nerdy. Um, hey, so, oh gosh, see, I, we ran a little bit long, and now there's only nine minutes left to go in this segment. Um, I, I thought it would be really fun to talk about, I want to talk kind of at length about um, the re-emerging borrowers, because there, this is happening all over the place. Folks that had some kind of damaged credit um, by way of bankruptcy or short sale, foreclosure, all these kinds of things. Um, they're kind of healed a couple, two, three, four years under their belt now of since their financial event and are showing back up for home financing and talking to them every day at work. So thought we could spend some time talking the ins and outs of that a little bit. I really want to do that in the next hour. So I'll, uh, I see that you still have your highlighted stuff here. Uh, let's put together round some out some headlines, quality here. filler for the next eight <laughs> minutes. And then when we get back, I want to shift gears into that, um, that practical loan level stuff that, uh, we need to talk about. Sure. Yeah. I think there's a couple of, there were a couple of big stories, probably pretty controversial stories that, that happened this week. 
um, that we could touch on. Um, one of them is employment related and it has to do with the minimum wage in the state of California. That was big news. I know we've had a couple of shows where we've talked about. I told you we only have eight minutes. <laughs> we've right? talked about minimum. Yeah. You notice how I'm you're slipping gonna, it in and you're in eight minutes. You're going to fire so, me up. Uh, I'm, I'm not giving you enough opportunity to, to really rant, though. Um, so the California legislature this week voted to increase the state's minimum wage to $9 an hour next July and to $10 an hour by January 2016. Obviously a pretty controversial move. The, you know, some folks are saying it's great. It's helping the, the working poor earn a better living. Um, you may have heard that the fast food workers, uh, I think it was across the nation, were striking. Um, their their demands were to, to get paid as much as $15 an hour for working, you know, fast food jobs. Um, so this this move by the California legislature will make the minimum wage um, the highest in the state of California in the whole country. Oh, good. So that's interesting. Currently, the highest minimum wage in the country is $9.19 in the state of Washington. So, interesting move. I know proponents do think that it will help raise the standard of living for those in the, the lowest, uh, you know, who earn this minimum wage. Um, it will help them earn more money to be able to buy more of the things they need to, to live. And then there's others that say that it's a job killer. Um, and I know we've talked about this a lot. I, I'm I dying over here. I'm dying. <laughs> Do you want uh, a comment? You get a comment. I'm dying. Okay. I got to make up an erroneous example because we don't have minimum wage employees in our business. It's not going to impact me. Uh, it, minimum wage is a way of saying if I could pay you less, I would. <laughs> You're the bottom rung employee. You probably suck at your job. You don't have any skills. You should have got more education. Whatever it takes. You, If I could pay you less, I would. The, the government makes me give you this much money. Um, okay, fine. Now, let's just take like, uh, let's say there's a frozen yogurt shop in Los Osos where they have unskilled labor. And for purpose of my example, it's um, three uh, teenage kids that that work the shift right they make minimum wage plus little tips in the tip jar because it's what they do um and there's a guy that owns it and he's a savvy entrepreneur he's taken some financial risk and bought some equipment he keeps the electric bill paid to keep the the milk frozen to make ice cream this guy uh he, he just raised his prices all of a sudden, his three minimum wage people are now required to be paid a higher wage than what they were actually willing to work for. And uh, in fact, absent of any government intervention, he may actually get some high school kids that were willing to work for slightly less. Who knows? Um, but at any rate, is this guy going to see you cut into his bottom line instead of his $3,000 a month profit that he has on the side business that's not... Um, really worth too much headache as long as it just stays the course and you and you hack him out to a less profit is he gonna just take less profit i'm guessing the price per ounce of frozen yogurt's going up yeah i saw that the minimum wage or that the the fast food workers wanted 
fifteen dollars an hour, and I thought, man, there goes the dollar menus and the any size soda <laughs> for a dollar. It's gone. It's now going to be the two dollar menu. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's got to go. And and uh, so I, that's my, my only thing. My I think problem, it gets passed straight through to the consumer, and then you got to when you pay a higher minimum wage, you pay a higher payroll tax now because you're paying a higher payroll, and all that stuff begins to add back up, and it's going to get passed through the consumer. So so then, does raising the minimum wage really benefit the folks? who earn that minimum wage when the goods they need to buy are just now more expensive because it costs more to get them on the shelves and sell them. I, I mean, want it, you to, I want it you seems to think, like it has a net zero. I doubt effect. it. You want to know who it impacts? It impacts those same poor people. That's and, what I'm and saying. Let me couch it to you this way. I want you to think about your last seven days here worth of purchases. How many of these purchases in your opinion are dependent upon somebody making minimum wage? The trucker that delivered the gas to the gas station is not making minimum wage, and he's really not going to be impacted by this, um, except for he probably has to eat more fast food, so he's going to end up with less money to spend in other ways. Uh, but my point is you pumped your own gas. The clerk at the grocery store is not making minimum wage. Those are typically good union jobs. Um, what other purchases did you make this week? As, as you walk through what it is that you did, you, you don't eat at McDonald's. I know you well enough to know that you're not the guy enjoying the dollar menu. Um, and, and this is something that while this, there's going to be outliers to this, it has something to do with the economic demographic of the consumer. Um, people that have higher income levels tend to not eat as much fast food. It's not really necessary. And, there at any rate my point is it's not really it doesn't have that much effect on you um california minimum wage is going to affect the products that you're buying i don't know is or is california minimum wage being paid in china we're not buying stuff made in california here anyway um and the people that are making things in california certainly aren't the ones making minimum wage for it so uh, in, in one respect, it's like, great, yeah, everybody that works at McDonald's should be paid 15 bucks an hour. And the bad news is now that you're being paid 15 bucks an hour, your Big Mac just went from 4 bucks to 8 bucks. So um, hope it feels like a victory. Hopefully now you can brown bag your lunch to work because you can't afford it anymore. It seems like a Band-Aid to a bigger problem. The bigger problem is that we don't have enough high-quality jobs for people because – Working at fast food was never intended to be an adult's job. It's intended to be the high school summer job kind of thing. And we, but now we have people who are regular adults trying to, you know, I've already offended enough people. <laughs> if we talk about this any longer, I'm only going to offend more. Um, let's go ahead and take the top of the hour break and we'll be back for 11 o'clock. We're going to move into some loan talk about where all the rubber meets the road. Stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us. We got just under an hour here to go with you. And, and right now, I thought we'd kind of switch into the um, less of the pontification over the impact of this rate environment on the bigger economy and just kind of more into things that probably affect people more directly um at least in terms of, of qualifying for loans today um 
when we were going through the real estate free fall, and uh, I think everybody at that time knew somebody that wasn't making their house payment or was attempting a loan modification. It's interesting to me. We we sat in here on the show, Dan. Remember when we were having conversations with like uh, people about loan modifications all the time, and why why should they do a short sale? And what was in it for them, and all, all this kind of stuff. And um, so all of those little decisions there have um, some impacts and ramifications for qualifying for new loans today, and uh, this is. I think just a little segment here where I just, I wanted to break through and kind of talk with you guys a little bit about um, what that landscape looks like. We all have a friend or a family member or a coworker that lost their house in one fashion or another, if it was by way of a short sale or a foreclosure or what have you. Um, and it's kind of surprising to me how split the, those people are. Some of them, um, want to own a new house as soon as possible and feel really entitled to do so. And then I think the other segment of people want to own a new house um, as soon as possible, but can't imagine the circumstances in which somebody is going to loan to them. I mean, it was only two years ago that, that they lost it all and, you know, gave up on hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. So there's, there's a like, unjustifiable uh, feeling of credit worthiness and then this kind of um, perhaps a little bit too self-damaging idea of lack of credit worthiness. Um, so I thought it'd be a good little segment here to kind of run down the middle and talk about those things. Um, so I, I'm going to premise this by saying that, um, preface this by saying the, the loan programs here that we're going to talk about um, come from a variety of banks and as many different banks as you could think of, um, you're going to find a different approach to dealing with these issues. For example, um, some banks, if you had a foreclosure, they don't care why uh, under any circumstance isn't going to change their opinion. They will not do business with you until 48 months after you've had that event. Um, there are other banks that the why is much more important to them. And if you have a really good reason as to why, they'll engage you much sooner. So it depends on the bank. I'm going to be talking um, about the banks that we work with as brokers that have um, just so many different takes on these different guidelines and, and by and large, um, talking to the more lenient side of them. So if you went to Wells Fargo or if you went to um, any other company in town that does home loans and you found a different answer, it doesn't mean that I'm lying. It means that um, you're beginning to see at least part of the value in working with a mortgage broker. Um, so first of all, there's a, there's a couple of differences here that we need to understand just um, going into this. A foreclosure is where you stopped making your mortgage payment altogether and the bank uh, eventually files a, a notice of default. It goes for in for a trustee sale where the, the court will ultimately auction your house um, to bid. 
And the high bid at that point is usually the person that owns the mortgage. They're already staked in it for 400000 Most of the time that you're going into default, it's because your house is worth less than that. So no other bidders show up to buy the house, and the bank um, that owns your loan is awarded your property as, as more or less the high bidder. So now they have a foreclosure. Obviously, they have ways to, to unwind that property and get out. Um, but the foreclosure is really a court action that happens. Um, it's probably not, and not probably, it's the most damaging and hard to recover from financial event that exists in terms of your uh, ability to borrow again. There's a second option, which is called um, a deed in lieu. And the deed in lieu um, in lose Latin, right? means instead. So they give up the deed instead of foreclosure. So the, they recognize the buyer borrower recognizes that they're not making the mortgage payment and that a foreclosure is imminent. And in doing so, they give the deed back to the bank in lieu of going through that legal process that has slightly different impacts to the, um, to the borrower. Uh, but same result to the bank. They have a property back that they've not been paid for, um, and they're going to figure out how to sell it. The next little option that exists is one um, called the short sale. And this is where the borrower works with their lender to come up with an agreement where they'll sell the house for um, less than actually what it takes to satisfy the loan. And in a short sale, uh, sometimes the, the buyer buys the home for 300 and the loan is for 400. Sometimes that seller has the hundred thousand dollars to pay it down, um, and does so that that would be really considered a normal sale when you don't have that hundred thousand dollars to put, um, into it. That's what's ultimately considered a short sale. So those are, those are kind of the three ways that you adversely, um, sell a house that you're not not able to make good on the mortgage that you have on it um so you following so far i'm with you i feel like i'm lulling you to sleep over there i'm with you no i'm feeling good about this you are yep so now you know kind of fast forwarding a little bit you got these different loan programs and they're they're all over the place from jumbo to conventional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, USDA, every one of these different programs has guidelines on when you can borrow again. And it has to do with whether you had a foreclosure, did a deed in lieu, if you did a short sale, um, they have waiting periods and times by which um, you're going to have to sit the sidelines to, to be able to gain entry again into the market. When this was all just happening, so I want to tell you, Dan, do you remember, you were never an underwriter, so I, I don't, it's not my intention to stump you, but I'm just curious if you know, um, back in, say, 2005, where there there was still foreclosures, for sure. Um, there was still deed and lose, especially if somebody couldn't afford a loan, they might just hand over the deed, even if they had equity, and the bank would make an agreement with them and even give them some of their equity when they sold it. Um, but do you remember if you did a if you saw a loan application in 2005 where somebody had been through a foreclosure, how long would it take for them to be able to get a Fannie Mae loan again? A Fannie Mae loan? Yeah. 
I believe the requirement was five or seven years. That's exactly right. Five to seven years. Five if you had extenuating circumstances, which are always really difficult to define, let alone prove. And seven years if it was really just a financial mismanagement. Um, that's pretty brutal. That's a long time. Uh, and if you had done a short sale, and in 2005, most people would say, what's a short sale? Well, that's where you're going to sell the house short of what you owe on it, and the bank's going to eat the rest and be like, why would the bank do that? Um, we got all too familiar with that process in this last recession here. So that being said, um, the short sale guidelines weren't very well defined. It was it was more or less that you were either making your mortgage payment or you weren't. And if you hadn't, foreclosure became defined as somebody who hadn't made their mortgage payment in 120 days. So even if you caught back up on your mortgage, if you had that problem, you would really be um, in, a, in a status of pre-foreclosure, which would prevent you from doing loans anymore. Um, so today, um, and granted, I know you're not an underwriter, nor are you a producing loan officer, but um, Fannie Mae's stance on this uh, was updated within the last like 30 days here. Um, how long today on a Fannie Mae loan before, if you've had a foreclosure before you can buy again? Three to five years. So they've, they've dialed in the guidelines a little bit. I kind of tricked you a little bit here. A foreclosure for Fannie is still major bad. Um, it's four years if you had a full-on foreclosure. So they didn't they sweeten up, though, from five to seven down to four? That's kind of nice of them. Mind you, these are people now that may have had a foreclosure in 2009 are ready to buy again today. Um, and so uh, if you did a short sale, though. Two years. Two years. Um, so Fannie Mae, who's always been the most conservative of all of the loan programs, Fannie Mae's always been, I mean, we equate Fannie Mae, its nickname is A Paper. And this, so this is suggesting that this is the, this is the A student borrower here, um, has recently dropped their requirement down to two years, have you, um, that you could buy after you've been through a short sale. And that's kind of interesting to me. I can't believe that they've dumbed down as far as they have. In in hindsight, we'll be calling this self-preservation again. That's exactly the term I was thinking right now. Yeah. Um, and I always say this. Uh, people that know me professionally laugh at me for this, but never underestimate the power of self-preservation. Running out of qualified buyers, make the net bigger. How are yeah. you going to make the net bigger? Dumb down those standards. We're real sorry you had that foreclosure. You don't need to wait the seven years, we'll, we'll give you four. And oh, wait, you were one of the kind souls that did a short sale here and s you still stiffed us for a hundred grand or more, but uh, thanks for participating in that and not just walking away altogether. You can buy a house in two years. So this is pretty mind blowing. Um, and again, recent development. So downturn in volume, loosening of the credit guidelines. Here we go. Um, and for those people that are saying that the, the guidelines are bizarrely um, conservative and um, prohibiting good qualified people from uh, being able to buy, I call nonsense on that. 
yeah, the guidelines are still really thick. They're really heavy and hard to qualify for in terms of there's some no nonsense part to this. Your income and then your assets. They're going to make darn sure that the money you have is actually yours, sourcing things to the painful last penny, and that your job, that you have a two-year history of making a good wage, um, after that, they get a little bit more workable in terms of like credit and things like this. Kind of impressive to me. If you were loaning out my money, I would really want to know that my borrowers that I was loaning to were that they had that ability to repay no matter what. And I would, I would want to know whether they paid their debts well in the past, but I could understand if they suffered a loss of job and had a mortgage that they couldn't sell because the house was way underwater. Um, now I want to know for two years, have they been making good money and have they been able to save and all these kinds of things? Um, so anyway, that's been a huge development. And that that was one of the first pieces that I really wanted to tell people about because now here's two things, okay? There's two sets of people now that need to, um, to know that these guidelines have changed. Number one, I had some friends that owned two or three houses and they never lost their primary residence. They lived in their primary residence and they were um, okay there. They weren't leveraged. They've owned it for a while, had a pretty good safe loan, but they bought investment properties, right? They bought investment properties and because they were trying to get the rent to cover the mortgage, they selected some kind of a mortgage that was interest only or something stupid. Um, and they ended up short selling the investment property or letting the investment property go to foreclosure. So, okay, is what it is. They figured out how to deal with it. Um, now they want to refinance their primary. Trouble is they had a foreclosure two years ago, four years ago, five years ago, whenever it was. Um, they would have gotten a pretty emphatic no for most people. It doesn't matter that it wasn't the house you live in. Your credit now, your credit profile has a foreclosure or a short sale. Um, so it would prevent you from financing this other property that you still own. So first call out here is the people that have had um, been turned down because of some credit event on another property and told that they were ineligible for financing for four to seven years, that's really no longer the case. So it's because these guidelines are changing, those people should reach out and find out if now's the time that they can qualify for a refinance. Um, and if it was, if you were the person that only owned one house and you lost your house um, back then, you were probably told that it was going to be four to five to seven years before you could buy again. And again, those guidelines have changed. So there's people that I do think that could, that are in a position now to qualify. They're in a better position to be able to afford to buy with a fixed rate loan at market value and um, really make a good, safe, logical transaction. And so those people uh, may want to reach out to us and get pre-qualified. Uh, in terms of the pre-qualification, when you've had a foreclosure or a short sale in your credit history, those are the people that we want to, um, we go a little bit deeper on the going in. Um, we always run their credit report and then we go through and run the um, automated underwriting approval for Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or FHA, whatever program that they're going to be utilizing. That 
that's a big component. And so um, those people should should come to get pre-qualified sooner than later because it is a bit more involved. Um, that being said, we do it every day and we do it for free. So um, sometimes people know that they probably aren't going to be ready to buy for what could be months or maybe even a year or two. Most people can still come get pre-qualified and, and we can tell you what you need to do, things that you need to work on. And um, so running down the gamut, there's a few other um, little ins and outs of loan programs. Um, one thing that few people know about is the um, loans for veterans. If you're a veteran, um, you can get a VA loan. There was times in recent history where the VA loan kind of sucked. Um, rate was high, uh, loan to values for refinance is kind of limited, not allowing cash out, other things like that. Uh, VA has come a long way. Um, I'm actually quite thrilled now when somebody calls in and says that they're a veteran. Um, VA's made some expansions to the loan guidelines that are, um, by the way, since I'm doing the quiz on you here, you know how long after a VA loan you have to wait before you can, uh, like if you do a short sale? Um, I think they say two years, but they'll look at less than two years with extenuating circumstances. At really anything. You can get a VA loan done if you had a short sale or foreclosure. Um, the caveat is if that short sale or foreclosure was using a VA loan, then you're hosed. You can't burn the administration for a whole loan. They, they won't loan to you again, period, until you pay back whatever they lost. Um, I had that actually come up recently with some folks that um, had a VA loan, and they sold their home, and the new veteran assumed their loan, and that veteran went default on that loan, and it took down the both of them. Oh, no. So kind of crazy. I, I had I always kind of assumed that when you did an assumption that the original party was completely off the hook, um, but in uh, in this case it wasn't true. So um, anyway, it is time to do a commercial break. So we got to take some time out to do that. And we get back and um, give you guys a few more nuggets of info. We got more yet to come. Stick around on. Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Imagine if you'd purchased Google stock 10 years ago or bought gold before it went through the roof. How much money would you have right now? Today's real estate market is ripe with opportunities just like these. It's rare that real estate values and mortgage rates are low at the same time. Rates will go up and home values will too. Stop renting. Owning a home is more attainable than you think. We are living in the golden age of real estate. Call 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. 
Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, we are back here on Mortgage Matters. Got about a half hour left with you. We're getting into the the topic right now that we're discussing is um, qualifying for a mortgage after with reestablished credit. So after a major derogatory incident, whether it's a BK foreclosure, short sale, deed in lieu, those are really the big credit events that can negatively impact your credit. And there are, depending on the loan program, different criteria for um, reestablishing credit and and timelines for when you can actually qualify and be approved for a mortgage um, again. And so the, these guidelines are evolving and they're changing. And, and one of the ones we haven't touched on yet is FHA. They just announced this past week, actually it was last week, um, that they're changing their standards as well. Um, and they're changing them to allow, to, they're widening their net as Jason um, stated a little earlier they're they're finding a way to allow more people with derogatory credit to qualify as long as they can prove extenuating circumstances and reestablish credit fha's new back to work extenuating circumstance guidelines allow borrowers with previous bankruptcies foreclosures deeds in lieu short sales and other adverse credit um to be eligible for FHA purchases provided that they meet certain criteria. And here's the criteria that FHA is looking for. They want you to prove and document that the event, that there was an economic event in your life that led to this um, adverse credit. They want you to prove that you had a job loss, a decline in income, uh, you know, a, a death or divorce of a spouse um, situation where your household lost income. If you can document and prove that economic event, that's your first key to being able to qualify. Um, the second is reestablishing good credit history for at least 12 months. And so really, I think that's the that's that's setting the minimum uh timeline from the credit event. It's that reestablishment of new good credit for 12 months. So that to me says you have to have at least 12 months since the event um, before you can be considered. 
because without that, you haven't, you haven't shown me that you've recovered from this event and proven to me that you can pay your debt obligations on time for a consistent number of months. Um, so they're looking for 12 months of reestablished credit history. That's what FHA wants. By the way, mm -hmm. I, when I started underwriting, when I was being trained to really dig in and look at loans, um, it was said to me that anybody can say no to a loan. Um, in fact, those hard loans that are a little, a little bit subjective and take some discretion and some critical thinking, those are the ones where like a, a really a good underwriter can get comfortable with, figure out how to, how to document that it was a pretty isolatable event, that this person had an issue that stemmed from these reasons and that because this amount of time has passed and in these ways, this person's more recovered now. Um, that being said, there aren't a lot of good underwriters around anymore. Well, <laughs> so you, one of the issues is, is you fall into this place where, um, you're looking to an underwriter to make a decision where you're asking them to put themselves in the hot seat. And do they really need to, do they really, are they really invested in caring about whether or not you buy this house? Um, yeah, sure. It'd be great to help you be able to buy the house and um, that you made this mortgage payment because you didn't make the last one. But on this, on the chance that somebody down the road looks at the loan and says whether or not it's performing, but you should not have made this loan and you're fired, um, it, it becomes it becomes easier for them just to say no. And so, by and large, most banks that, that even that we work with won't offer these liberal guidelines. Won't offer this kind of turning the other cheek to somebody that has a really recent problem of not having paid a mortgage. So. Um, these, these won't be the norm. And, and as far as the extenuating circumstancing goes, um, I've, I, I would just, I, and I, and I do this with my clients when they're sitting in my office, just because I, I don't want to be the guy that comes off as misleading in any way, shape or form, but here's the deal. Extenuating circumstances are extremely hard to get an underwriter to sign off on. For example, um, if you're, if you're, had a spouse die and you can produce produce a, a death certificate that's a good extenuating circumstance that one would probably work um if you had cancer and can document that you had to you know go through chemotherapy in this period and your credit was spotless until this event happened and now your cancer is gone and you're back to work that's an extenuating circumstance um Getting a furlough day at work or getting your pay cut by 5 or 10%, um, that's not an extenuating circumstance. That's a, you didn't, you had yourself so leveraged down to the hilt that because of your f poor financial planning, some change in the wind led you to a complete collapse. So people really need to understand that extenuating circumstances are going to be, um, Pretty much like when the conversation is had, it's one that nearly brings you to tears describing that rough patch of your life. It's not financial mismanagement. Um, and, and I think that there's this desire to work financial mismanagement into extenuating circumstances. People want to say how bad it was. You know, oh, it was so bad. I, I had a second job that I lost and then I got 
cut back at work and you know these kinds of things that's that's generally not going to qualify for something like this well and you you make the point that some underwriters may not want to um put their job on the line to make that decision because that's that's the reality the the underwriter's decision the underwriter is forever linked with the performance of that loan and and so they may not want to take that chance um but sometimes the underwriter's not even afforded the opportunity to make that decision. Sometimes it's it's the institution's policy to not even That's offer right. offer that. A lot of banks have credit overlays where they simply won't do they they won't allow the minimums to pass through their their institution. They have some criteria higher than the minimum. So that's where um, you know options. You have to shop as a consumer to figure out who is willing to take that chance on you if you had a, a fairly recent credit event. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, so so really this FHA um, policy change that was announced last week, um, again, just to restate the criteria, you have to have documented that there was an economic event, a major event, that you have fully recovered from it, and that you have reestablished satisfactory credit for at least the last 12 months. FHA has a window for this um, reduction in credit standards. It's going to be for new loan applications um, beginning August 15th. So it, it actually was was opened up, I guess, the middle of last month. And through September 30th of 2016. So there's this window of opportunity to to take advantage of this back-to-work extenuating circumstance guidelines. That's what's being termed by FHA. Um, so, again, if, if this is a spot that you're in, if you are, are someone who experienced a major event, if you had to short-sell a property, or if you had to go through bankruptcy or foreclosure and maybe you were previously denied for a mortgage, things are evolving, things are changing, and you may be in a position where you can get it back into the housing game um, with a mortgage. You just have to call and find out a little bit more and tell us a little bit more about your situation. Yeah. Um, in you stress the point, I stress the point. We're going to move on from the topic here, but I want to just say this. The banks are not all equal. They have different policies. If you've been told something by one bank or another, um, regardless of how long ago it was, it's worth revisiting uh, because there's such a, such a difference in who has an appetite to tolerate what, how long they... Um, if, for example, some of these banks just recently adopted these new policies, they came off of the no foreclosures for seven years tip to say, hey, this is new guidelines and in interest of self-preservation, we'll dumb down and allow it after two years too. So it's it's just definitely worth looking into. Um, gonna help more people qualify for homes. And these are the people that are going to carry the housing industry as their um, refinance has slowed down. But like I told you, I named off a few groups of people that are still gonna be refinancing. These group of who I, I like to call the re-emerging borrower, um, they're showing up every day. I see somebody every day. Somebody calls me every day that's um, curious how long it's going to be before they can get back into this. 
Um, so Dan, you touched on this a minute ago. I want to talk a little bit about the credit stuff when we come back, just kind of credit more in general. Um, because if you had a bankruptcy two years ago or a foreclosure a couple years ago or whatever, and it was truly due to extenuating circumstances, you may have a credit score now that in spite of meeting some of the guidelines time-wise, your credit score may still be substandard. So uh, I'm going to want to talk a little bit about what goes into a credit score and then some of those ideas about how you can fix credit up to be able to qualify a little bit um, sooner or, or if it's not sooner, at least to help you qualify into a better rate. So we're going to do the final commercial break of the segment here. When we get back, we're going to uh, wrap it up with more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. When it comes to your mortgage, do you pay points or do you take the no-cost loan? Don't let your loan officer or banker choose for you. At Central Coast Lending, we help you decide. Numbers don't lie. We teach you to do the math so you can cut through the salesmanship and get the best loan for you. Because we can't be beat, we'll even teach you how to shop and compare other offers. We don't charge upfront fees, and we value every client. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543 543- Five six two six Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Glad that you're with us. We just got 20 minutes to go. Um, Yeah, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about credit stuff because credit is something that I think the majority of us um, depend on and use and utilize. Um, In fact, I found out um, over the last few years here from people coming to me for credit help that credit even reaches a little bit beyond the normal things. Like we, we know when somebody runs our credit report, 
um, that it's a kind of a, a glimpse into our character. Um, did you know that lousy credit could cause you um, higher premiums on your, um, like for a contractor in getting their bonds? Could quadruple the premium if your credit score is jacked up. Hmm. Um, during the break, we got talking about co-signing. Um, Jim, I had a client recently who, um, a contractor that co-signed for a um, for his son for a car, mm -hmm. and he uh, yeah, and the kid was on it. He was a he's yeah. a kid worthy of um, yeah. believing in and betting on, and the kid botched the car payment thing and didn't make the payment um, uh -huh. for about two months. And when the dad caught wind, he brought it current. They went to work it out. But right, right. in the interim, his bond for work was renewing, and the bond went from $600 a year to $2,400 a year. Oh, my gosh. And so it took a little while to get the credit score back yeah. up, and then yeah. he could get it rewritten. But right. um, at any rate, that it, what's really frightening about it is that those, those are the kinds of examples where – credit can reach a little bit beyond whether or not you're going to get approved for that car loan or credit card that you're after. I don't, I don't co-sign for <laughs> typically I mean, a pretty good practice. No, it's like, you know, cause guess what? That $20,000 car loan, if they welch out, guess what? You get a thousand dollars out of your pocket. That's right. So I guess you got another car though. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, here we go. Talk a little bit about um, credit stuff. And I'll just start by saying um, credit to me is is actually a pretty simple thing. I think people are pretty um, confused about um, what's in a credit score and how to get their credit score up. And I'll tell you this. My biggest misconception is that um, people believe that having too much available credit can really be damaging to your credit and so therefore they'll close credit cards that they're not using in an attempt to get their score to go up um, one of the biggest factors of credit has to do with uh, the utilization of credit and what i mean by that is for sake of round numbers let's say you have a credit card that has a thousand dollars line amount right that's how much you could technically charge today if you carry a $500 balance on that card, that's a 50% utilization. That is having a negative impact on your credit. So you got to always remember that it has some, there's a function in here that has something to do with the balance that you have as opposed to the total available. And this is for an individual account and your accounts all together. So this is, this is the primary reason why you don't want to close a credit card, by the way. Let's say I have a a credit card with Bank of America with a $10,000 limit on it, and I have zero balance. Then I have a Discover card with a $10,000 limit on it, and they have given me a 0% balance transfer, so I have a $5,000 balance on this one, right? Now, on that card, I'm utilizing 50% of its available credit, but in my total credit profile, I'm only utilizing 25%. So if I go, well... I'm going to close that Bank of America account because I don't even use it and it's hurting me. Now I remove that available credit from my calculation and suddenly I'm at 50% of my available credit being utilized. My score goes down. So never close a credit card that you're not using unless it has an annual fee on it that you don't feel comfortable paying or can't afford to pay. Um, 
call and negotiate the annual fee off or go ahead and close the account then if it's something fee-based. But generally speaking, to throw a card in the back of the drawer and never worry about it again is, is usually the better approach. Um, the other thing is people think that they have to have activity on their credit card every single month. This too is not true. Um, you don't need to have activity on your credit card every single month. You, the guidelines for credit are typically that you use the account within the last 12 months. So if you have a credit card that you're interested in keeping active, throw a tank of gas on it twice a year. Um, it's not necessary to use it for 40 or 50 or 60 transactions. I talk to these people that say, I use my credit card every month. I put everything on my credit card and then I pay it off completely. That's doing absolutely nothing for your credit. It doesn't build your credit to use the card and pay it off every month. The same stuff gets reported to the bureaus, by the way. Um, on that day, that snapshot, what's the available credit, the current balance, the minimum payment, and is it on time? So in this case, um, you're not doing yourselves any favor by using the card every month, paying it off, unless there's some sort of reward with it, like uh, airline miles or points or something that you're interested in collecting. Um, there's one more function of the credit thing that uh, most people don't really realize, and this is that um, on credit, there's a function of how high you've ever run this card to. So I'll give you this. Let's say, Dan, that same $1,000 credit card you have, if you only ever put 25 bucks on it, you went you know, out to Applebee's, spent 25 bucks, paid it off, and never use it again, that's not going to give you very good reporting on your credit because we've never seen you get yourself uh, in the hole and dig out. So in most of the time, it's a really good idea to take a credit card um, really close to its limit at least one time because for the life of that account now, it'll report how high you ever had it. So uh, am I advising you to go buy something for $9,000 on your $10,000 credit card? No, but if, you, if there's something that you're going to buy and you're going to do it anyway, like say, for example, you, there's a used car that at a dealership you're going to pay cash for for $9,000 bucks. Um, yeah, maybe swipe it on the credit card. And then when you get that bill, send the credit card, the 9,000 bucks. Now we have an account under your name that has $10,000 available at one point you utilize nine grand and that has a zero balance that tells the credit card companies that, Hey, this guy's the real deal. Not only does he have good credit, but he takes and uses the account well and has showed the ability to dig out from a pretty hefty balance that combination of things um oldest account on credit utilization of balances to available credit both individually and in aggregate aggregate um, how much of the credit you've ever used at any one time and then um that that that's it right there that's how that's the recipe for having amazing credit you want to take it one step further, they love to see a little bit of diversity in the account. So an installment loan every once in a while, go get yourself a car loan. Or, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't have any installment loans, um, so I can't get my credit from 720 to 760. Um, here's a good way to get an installment loan. The local credit unions offer installment loans for um, like a computer. So if, you, if you're in the market to buy yourself a new uh, you know, a MacBook, a couple thousand dollar computer, 
you could, if you're in a position to pay cash for it, you're probably better off to do that. If you're going to put it on a credit card, why not put it on an installment loan where it's fixed for a 12 or 18 or 24 month period? Um, the interest rates are generally pretty similar to that of a credit card. And that installment loan, uh, and the big difference is on a credit card, that's considered revolving debt, which means you can charge it up and pay it off at all times. The installment debt is, it's got 12 installments that are due, and at the end of the 12th, the account is paid as agreed and closed. You never have an opportunity to run the debt back up. And the reason that that kind of debt's important is because um, it's possible for you to pay credit cards with credit cards. So, or you could use your entire paycheck to pay your credit card bill and then use another credit card through that whole month to live and get caught in this cycle of you're actually broke though you're paying your bills on time. When you're doing an installment debt, you're paying that every month and it's not an opportunity to get that money back in some other way. Um, so that, that does add to a stronger credit profile. So um, those are the ways that we can help people get really good credit. Um, as far as helping them to say, hey, if you're if you have to have this balance, can we move some to another card and get your utilization down to tell people don't close those cards? Um, I had one client and this was a cool thing that happened in a prequalification. She had one credit card and it was American Express card, um, a young borrower. She was only 24, but buying her second home, um, her credit on the credit card side was limited to a single revolving account with American Express for 1500 bucks. And she was building credit because it was really important to her. She knew she was young and was trying to get great credit. Um, she put everything she could in that month on her American Express card. And then when the bill came, she paid it off in full. Well, I ran her credit and the way that American Express runs the credit reporting for her, they report to the bureaus three days before she pays her bill. So her credit card had a $1,400 balance on a $1,500 card, and it was her only credit card. So she appears to be maxed out and had a 650 credit score. A girl that deserved a 760 had a crap credit score because of the way it was reporting. And so this is one of the reasons why I say for her, especially, there was it was detrimental for her to put everything on her credit card and pay it off every month. It doesn't make sense to do that. There's no part of that that's good for you um, once you meet those other metrics. Um, another, another little tidbit about credit is that um, one really big misconception is that having your credit pulled damages your credit. Um, will lower your credit score if there's an inquiry. And I'll tell you that generally speaking this is not true getting a credit inquiry on your credit is not going to lower your credit score um, it's a combination of a profile so if you track with me logically here for a second um, let's just say that you come to me and you're my 10th inquiry um, i'm your 10th inquiry this month i'm checking your credit for the 10th time Okay, time out. Um, why is this dude getting his credit checked 10 times in one month? Um, well, he's shopping for a car loan. Okay, that's kind of reasonable. Um, let's look at the credit then. Hey, wait, um, first of all, I'm not a car loan, I'm a credit card. And this guy with the 10 inquiries has 10 
maxed out credit cards. He's clearly trying to get another credit card because he's run out of credit that he had. Um, that inquiry then would be damaging to your credit because that's like a, it's a, it's a sign of that whole profile is a demonstration of somebody that's desperately looking for credit. So they make that inquiry pinch your credit score a little bit, knock you down some points until you get um, a different kind of scenario. Uh, you got to remember that the credit score in and of itself, the whole point of the credit score is that a would-be creditor would be told by other people you've done business with in the past um, what's going on with you and whether you're a good bet. You're not a good bet if you're walking in with maxed out credit cards and this is the 10th one you tried to get this month. So that score then is being, I'm getting delivered a lower score for your social security number because you're shaky right now. So flip side of the coin, let's say you come into me um, and I'm your 10th credit inquiry this month, but you have no balances on any of your credit cards and everything looks dialed in. Um, is that inquiry going to affect your credit? Not at all. I have no reason to be worried that you're out looking for credit. You're, um, you're a stellar borrower and we can tell that. So it's not, it's not just as simple as saying that inquiries are a bad thing on your credit. It, it's a bad thing only if you have a profile that already looks a little bit sketchy. So that being said, I don't encourage people to run out and get their credit checked 10 times in a month. That's excessive. Um, the borrowers with the best credit that we see typically have um, two or three inquiries in a six-month period. And, and that's relatively normal and reasonable. Um, so there's a lot more that we could have about this conversation. We're going to run out of time. Um, I think the lessons you're or, – or some of the, the tips you're offering here are, are just spot on. They're great. And, and I hope a lot of people are, are – appreciating what you're saying a lot of what you're describing is how i use credit and just, so just for example i'll share with you that the i do have one credit card that's my primary card that i would make purchases on and i do get some points and that's primarily why i i want all my points concentrated sure. on one card but i have a i probably have like seven credit cards right the other six are offsetting you i generally will use them around christmas time when i'm making a bunch of purchases but i'll just i'll just to kind of keep the activity going i don't right. use them they're not my primary cards but i want to keep them active and sure. and and have that on my credit profile that they're active used cards i also when i go in and make a big purchase if i'm buying a tv at sears or um you know recently did some floors and, and you know was able to finance that Whenever I can get 0% financing for a period of time, I take it. Because mm -hmm. not only does it help build more credit history, and it also does that other thing where you have a, a large balance that you're showing that you're able to dig yourself out of. Yep. Um, and I'm not paying any interest on it. Yeah. So why not? I, why do I want to part with my you know, $2,000 that I could, you know, I could spend on this TV today when I can give you 100 bucks for the next 20 months and... Not pay any interest. Yeah, not pay any interest. So sure. I'd rather do that. And it builds my credit. So that's what I do with credit. And it, what I've been absolutely amazed by, as I've learned about credit over these last 10 plus years, is how quickly a credit score can rebound from even the most major credit event. Right. So, you know, some people have a major event and think, well, I don't have to care about my credit anymore because now it sucks. 
a credit bounces back really quickly if you do the right thing if you and, do the right thing and i was gonna say we've run out of time today the other part of credit that um you can tell i kind of geek out on the credit thing a little bit but more importantly i have to do this stuff with my clients day in and day out i have clients in escrow today that we worked on their credit for the last year now i'm not begging people with crap credit to come to me for help um that's not what i like to do for a living but um, people that come in and they're surprised by something on their credit or they don't qualify and they're just under the mark, these kinds of people, you know, I, through the years, I've gathered a pretty good knowledge about what goes into credit. Um, I would love, I think next week probably be an appropriate thing to do is we can talk a little bit about the derogatory credit and the ways to build credit once you're in that bad spot. Um, when you've been through a short sale or had a car repossessed or maybe even gone full on outright bankrupt, um, it's very difficult to get somebody to extend you any credit. So how do you do that? Every credit card you get applied for is denied. You have no opportunity to care about how much of the available credit you're utilizing. Um, but I know how to navigate that too. And, um, so uh, I'll share I'll share more of that next week. In the interim, I hope that you guys glean that um, we spent the first half of the show today talking about tapering and interest rates and employment rates and all this stuff that maybe you don't care about. Um, but I hoped that you uh, understand that we truly are experts in um, all things related to the home loan process, including credit. And if you have any questions or any needs, if you have any, um, any way that you think that we could help you and add a little value to your life, um, give us a call. We're, we're found easily at 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. And you can also um, check us out on the web. We're at www.centralcoastlending.com. And um, what, Dan? And we have a handy little apply online feature. Oh, yeah. So you can initiate the process right online. Yeah, it's and so that, easy. that is actually really cool because sometimes in with the credit cleanup people, the first thing I need to do is be able to run a credit report. And if you do the application, I can run one there and evaluate it and come up with your plan. So centralcoastlending.com or 543-LOAN. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. I hope you guys have a fabulous week. 